Welcome to the Bad Soccer Dad Podcast, where we're asking, why do our attempts to bring out the best in young athletes often bring out the worst in parents? And what would it take to flip the script? Join us each week as we seek to develop better parents, better athletes, and better conversations. Here's your host, Steve Norman. For this episode, I had a great conversation with Michael Spain. Michael's a New York Times bestselling author, co-founder of the New Day Foundation, a nonprofit serving families fighting cancer, and former co-host of the radio show Your Family Matters on Salem Broadcasting in Detroit. He's also been a basketball coach for more than 30 years, and he and his wife Gina have raised five children, all of whom are varsity athletes. Plus, he's a native Chicagoan with a true appreciation for what actually constitutes a deep dish pizza. Let's jump into the podcast. Today, we've got an uh, esteemed guest who's a friend of mine. He's a dad. He's an athlete in his own right. He's a coach and an author and all sorts of other awesome things that he does and can do. Michael, thanks for joining me. Good morning, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. So, Michael, talk to me a little bit about uh, your athletic experience. What sports did you do or not do when you were a, a youngster? Well, when I was very young, I, I played almost every sport. When it came to high school and varsity sports, I was actually, uh, I played uh, basketball. Primarily, I, w- I loved the game of basketball, yeah. and that served me well late in life. But I also played on the golf team. I played on the football team. Uh, I played baseball just for a year and then got beat out by everybody. But at the high school level, I was able to be a three-sport guy. So they say that sports don't build character. They reveal it. Exactly. What things, what lessons did you learn about life and values and what mattered and what doesn't when you were a high school athlete? Um, You learn a lot of lessons that are short-term lessons, and then you learn one or two that are long-term. The short-term ones are um, working hard, delayed gratification, um, sacrificing for others. Um, uh, Hard work equals some level of success. doesn't always equal the victory in the game, but it it equals a a, a sense of satisfaction. So you learn those things, and those things are very – I don't mean to say that they're short-term, but they're they're lessons that you can put into practice right away – um, but then I did definitely take away something um, that I didn't know at the time I would, and that was lifelong friendships. Uh, I cannot tell you what our record was my senior year on the basketball team, um, but I can tell you the names of all the guys I played with um, because they were they are godfather to my kids. They are they were, one of them was best man at my wedding. I still have a, a text thread going with, with eight or nine of them, and they are, you know, an attorney in Newport Beach, a hedge fund guy in Chicago, a, a, um, a, a vice president for Southwest Airlines in, in Dallas. They're, they're spread out all over the country. But 35 years later, we are close. We are the 2 a.m. guys uh, that we could call on a dime, and they would be at my doorstep. That's the longer lesson of what success uh, means in in youth sports or in, in athletics, for me anyway. What did your dad do right as a parent of a young athlete? My dad was great at being a dad, first of all. I was very blessed. And by the way, I, I need to mention not just my dad, but my older brother. My older brother uh, is eight years older than I. 
and he participated in all the same sports that I wanted to eventually. And so I idolized him. So he was almost sort of a secondary dad to me. But my dad, uh, first of all, attended every game. Um, I pro- nearly every game. There were some games where his job prevented him, but not very many. Okay. Um, I remember him being at every game. He encouraged. He never demanded. Other than if you if you're going to do something, do it all the way. Yeah. Do it. Do it fully. Yeah. But he never talked about points per game or. Uh, you know, getting enough steals or, or, or rushing for enough yards or receiving or any of that. He talked about effort. He talked about joy and, and he always encouraged and he, he was a great athlete himself. So he was the kind of guy who was in the backyard with us. He was in the driveway with us shooting hoops. Um, and not just with us, but with everybody in the neighborhood, he was that guy where, um, but I, but, but, but I will tell you this. And this is something that I learned, and it's something that when people ask me for advice for other dads, I, I always mention this, and this is one that people hate. But my father taught me this not by teaching, but just by doing this, and then it became my thing. Never let your child hear your voice during a game. Really? Never. Not a voice of encouragement, not a voice of instruction, not a voice of dissent. Don't let them hear your voice. Let them hear everyone else's voice. Don't let them hear yours. It will freak them out. It will embarrass them. It will confuse them. It will do things to them that, that, that they don't want. Now, clap and cheer. Say, wait, say, yay. But don't let your voice stand out and be heard by your child during the game. Just during the game I'm talking about. Now, ball in. It's game time and we're playing. Don't let them hear your voice. Be one of the crowd. Just clap and cheer, but don't let them hear your voice. That's fascinating. I've not heard that before. Yeah. So talk to me about how you went from player to coach. Uh, I went from player to coach out of love. I was 19 years old when I got my first coaching job uh, in San Diego, California at the YMCA. I moved out there, I uh, was going to school, and um, started coaching fifth and sixth grade boys. And from there, I coached boys and girls clubs, I coached YMCAs, I coached uh, middle school, eventually I coached uh, basketball, this is. I, I, I primarily coached basketball. And eventually I got to the high school ranks, and I've coached every level there, freshman, JV, varsity. And uh, so other than very small breaks, I, I my my... I lost my wife to cancer uh, in, in her 30s, and so I took a year off after uh, she passed. And um, so other than one or two years, I've coached every year since I'm 19. That's great. Have you coached your kids? Unfortunately, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got into coaching, like I say, when I was 19. So it was, it was you know, more than a decade before I had my own ch- children. Um, and, and longer than that before they were capable of playing at the level I was coaching. I love my children and I, uh, and I was able to help them a little bit. And I think they, they all enjoyed, um, playing. I had, I have four boys and I have a daughter. So five children, all five children played varsity sports, uh, for their high school, um, multiple actually. And none of them were exceptional. Um, they were just good athletes and they had great times and they now have developed lifelong friends. When when my own children were playing for me, it, it 
it was a difficult experience because um, it, I don't mean to say that it was a difficult experience. It, 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 it took some doing because um, I never wanted to show them favoritism. Right. Um, by the same token, you, you try to walk the balance of not being too hard on them. Yeah. So um, that's a, that, it's just an added element to your coaching experience that I'd rather not have. Yeah. I'm I'm there to coach because I love the game and I love kids. Yeah. And so um I I was never there to coach because my because my kids needed it. Okay. And so I think there are a lot of guys who get into coaching because they want to coach their kids. Yep. Their own children. And for me it was the opposite. I I coach because I love kids, other people's <laughs> kids and, and I love the game. And I wanted to help, you know, my why. I, I I'm a big believer in What's your why? Why are you doing this? Yep. And for me, uh, my why of coaching always was, I always thought basketball was the greatest game ever invented, period. So if, if you practice and play the greatest game God ever invented the right way, then boys become young men of character or, or girls become, I coach boys, so girls become young women of character. Yeah. If you do it the right way, then you get to be a part of, of watching these young people become people of character and we just use basketball as sort of the gimmick of of teaching these life lessons many of which they're learning at home or in church but now it's 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 a different experience it's a dynamic experience with their friends and and uh, it can be a wonderful thing to witness as a parent can you point to a moment where you said yes this is what it, this is what it's about. Like we had a, where one of your children had, had a breakthrough moment. It was not, not necessarily like a brilliant athletic performance, yeah. but like a life lesson where you go, yep, worth the price of admission right there. I can tell you, and it had nothing to do, it, 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 it's going to be, it might be kind of boring. My, my daughter uh, is our oldest child and she always ran cross country and, uh, and was eventually the captain of the cross country team and was a good runner. Um, her sophomore year of high school, she came to me and said, they're doing preseason conditioning in girls softball, and I'd like to stay in shape during the winter. Will you drive me to those preseason conditionings? And I said, sure. And I thought, oh, good for her. And so she went. And about three weeks uh, after about three weeks of doing that, she was in great shape. And she came to me on a Saturday and said, on Monday, they're holding tryouts for the girls' softball team. I think I'd like to try out. What do you think, Dad? And I looked at her and I said, that sounds like a great idea. We should go to the sporting goods store and get you a glove. She had never played baseball, never played softball, never, didn't own a mitt. Yeah. But she wanted to try out. Yeah. And so she did and she made the team. And then the next year she made the varsity team. And the next year after that... They won the conference. She was a big part of it and, and is friends with those girls ever since. That moment of, I want to do this. I want to throw in. I want to play. Uh, and that brings me to a topic you're not even asking me about, but I'm going to throw it in anyway. Being a competitor has gotten a bad rap. He's ultra competitive. Now is a bad thing. I'm, I'm a competitive guy. What sure. that means is I, I want to compete. It doesn't mean I have to win. I'm trying to win, right? And I want to win, and I believe I win. If you give me another chance, I will win. <laughs> but 
I just want to compete. Worse than losing to me is not being allowed to play. I want to play. And my daughter had come to me and said, I want to play this game. And then her high school said, yeah, we'll let you. And then she had this marvelous extra athletic career. For me, that was one of the best. So there's a parallel universe, alternate reality ending to that story where you say, honey, I love you. You've never played softball before. This is a horrible idea. Yeah. Uh, why don't you just play to your strengths? Yeah. Why why'd you encourage her to pull the trigger? <laughs> because I know what success in high school sports is. High, success in high school sports has nothing to do with D1 scholarships. It has to do with 35 years later, your friends who you played high school ball with are texting you because they love you. So I knew that that if she had the right attitude and could could figure – she might have got cut and then I'd have to nurse those wounds and help her through that. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. And by the way, that would provide another opportunity to, to learn and to overcome because I had kids get cut. I got cut my eighth grade uh, basketball season, but then I came back and played high school ball. Those things just offer you more lessons. And the, to the parent who in that alternate universe had said, play to your strengths, only concentrate on this, that, that parent has the wrong focus. That parent is looking at D1 scholarships. He, he or she is looking at, they're measuring success in ways I don't. Okay. I think in the part of the world that you and I met each other in, my perception was there were many parents who said, I'm paying top dollar for my kid to compete in premier club sports. Uh, we are entitled to maximum playing time. And my kid is guaranteed a D1 scholarship at the end of the day. That version doesn't sound entirely grounded in reality. What do you have to say? Uh, Go right ahead. I had a parent not long ago who, who, um, who herself, the, it was a mom who herself 30 years earlier had played basketball for Michigan State. And I think she in, had um, intended to pass those genes down to her children. Well, her son was a was a good average high school basketball player. But he was surrounded by really other really good and fast and tall basketball players. He wasn't tall and he wasn't fast. and But she had this sort of delusion that he was going to play for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. And really the only object in the way of that was me as his coach who wasn't playing him enough. And the reason he and we sat in a room and she insisted on having a meeting with me and the athletic director and others talking about you're ruining this kid's high school career. And I said, how am I doing that? And she said, well, you're not playing him enough. And then we, and I talked about, you know, it's in this game. It's he's not fast enough and he's not going to play for Tom Izzo. And you need to just understand that. And one of the things I told her was there are f currently in the United States, there are 540,000 varsity high school basketball players, just varsity basketball players. Okay. There are 4,100 college basketball players. And out of those, 40 get drafted in the NBA. Your son has a better chance of being eaten by a shark while holding <laughs> the winning Powerball ticket in his hand than playing for Tom Izzo. But by the way, that's okay. 
measure success in the realistic way, in the in the great way. For so many parents, success is strictly my kids playing college ball. My kids playing college ball. And I don't care if it's soccer, volleyball, baseball, football, basketball. The phrase that 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 parents have gotten in their head is the next level. Hmm. That's the curse phrase. That's the phrase that is the devil, as far as I'm concerned, because we want to get your kid to the next level. Yeah, but my kid's in the third grade. Why are you talking about the next level? How right. about you talk about what's fun? Right. And by the way, I, I'm, I'm in the financial planning industry. If you will just give me all the money you're going to spend on travel baseball or travel soccer, 18 years from now, your kid can go to any college in the world for free. I'll invest it, and you don't have to worry about scholarships. We'll get you there. Yeah. So a little realism, a little dose of it's not going to happen. You, you know as a coach, as uh, frankly, as any human being, you can look at that kid and go, that kid's going to play in the NBA someday. Yeah. And then you're going to see another 500,000 go past you, and you're going to say, nope, 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 nope. But that's okay. It should be really okay with parents that their kid has a phenomenal high school basketball career or soccer career, meets the friends that he or she are going to have for the rest of their lives, does well learns about character, learns about overcoming obstacles, and then moves on with their lives. That's a good day. Yeah. Why is it sometimes that we as parents, who I think really do love our kids and really are well-intentioned, why do we want their sports success more than they do sometimes? I think it's for a lot of reasons, but the most, uh, you know, for some it's vicarious thrills. I, I wasn't very good when I was a kid in sports, and so I want my kids to be. You know, I was always picked last on the playground, so I don't want my kid to be picked last. Um, for others, it's I was a great athlete. You better be a great athlete. Yep. Underneath all of that is fear. Okay. We're, we're scared to death as parents. I had a parent um, across the street neighbor of mine. Love her to death. Love her children to death. She came to me when her child was in the third grade and said, you're a, you're a varsity basketball coach. What should I be doing for my, for my son? He, what, what, what camps should I have him in? What, what, what travel ball should I put him in? What train, should I get him a trainer? And I said, I live across the street from you. You have a $1,500 basketball pole in the ground next to your driveway, and I've never seen your son shoot hoops. So if you want to do anything for your son, roll out the basketball and see if he likes it. See if he if it's joyful. See if it's fun. Because until high school, it should be fun. If your kid is in the sixth grade and he or she is looking at you, rolling your eyes, saying, I hate it. And you say, I paid for it. So I got to take you to my practice. I got to take you to the team. I got to take you to Toledo on a travel. You're doing your kid a disservice. What's the difference between challenging a young athlete to finish what they start and choking the joy out of the game. You, you have to understand that they're children. Um, this isn't Michael Jordan. This is a fifth grader. And it should only be joy. You should not be, what was the, what was the phrase you said? Challenging him to... Finish what they start. Finish what they start. When it comes to youth sports, they need to finish what they start 
on their math homework. They need to finish what they start in, in, in their Bible study. When it comes to playing, they don't need to finish what they start because they're playing. So if your kid goes out and plays in the leaves today or plays in, the, in a fort in your backyard, are you going to make him finish what he starts? Or if he gets bored in a half an hour, are you going to say, okay, come on in and have some soup? Should I, I shouldn't wake him up for fort drills exactly. before breakfast? Okay. Basketball, soccer, volleyball, baseball, football, they're games that fifth graders play. And when they get bored, they should allow, be allowed to be bored. And if they aren't into it, on this day or that day, they should be allowed to not be into it. Don't make them finish it. It's play, and it should be play. When they get to high school and they make a commitment to a team, okay. But until then, it should all be play. That's great. So I think a lot of times we hear youth sports is good, and the stats show that they help kids with their athletic development, their social development, kids who compete – at least in theory, athletically, do better academically. So there's all this research about how the youth sporting experience makes for can make for better kids. I've also observed, conversely, confessionally and <laughs> observationally, that sometimes youth sports brings out the worst in parents. Yes. Why? I I, I don't know, but it's a shame. Uh, and I and I and I don't know. I don't know the exact answer, but I do know that at some point in my lifetime, and I think it was sometime in the 80s, I'll be honest with you, because I, it was after I went to high school and it was before I became a parent. So sometime, I think in the, in the late 80s, youth sports became monetized. The, the people of the world, the entrepreneurs of the world, the capitalists of the world, which, by the way, I respect and admire, they all looked and said, we can make money off of youth sports. We can start charging parents. And by the way, the way we're going to get their money is we're going to say things like we can get your kid to the next level. We're going to get your kid on the elite team. We're going to travel. And parents go, ooh, that sounds good. And they start paying all kinds of money. Yeah. And when you write those checks, now you're invested on a, on a different level. If you're paying $5,000 a year for ice time for your hockey player or for your, your figure skater daughter or whatever, if you're paying thousands of dollars for travel all around for your, for your athlete, your perspective changes. You're invested now, and they better be as equally invested. And so sometimes it brings out this, this hyper-competitive sense of, uh, I need a return on my investment. Mm. And that could put pressure on the athlete and the coach and the system. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. There's, there, and, and, and by the way, it's almost 0% is, is the fault or can be traced back to the athlete, to the, to the child. These are children. It's all our fault, yours and mine. And, and I, I wish to God we'd stop doing it. So in the meantime, like we have the system that we have and yeah. like full disclosure, I've, I've got a daughter who – who's in a travel club team yes. and uh, she, she enjoys it. And uh, I don't f like, fortunately for her, I don't know enough about the game to be the obnoxious parent that's telling her yeah, and the yeah. coach and the powers how, right. to, how to do it better. I'm just along for the ride. 
But as a person of faith, one of the questions we're asking with this whole experiment is, why, why is my one hour on the sidelines at my 12-year-old daughter's soccer game like the least Christ-like part of my week? <laughs> I really don't know. I may not be qualified for that, but... Um, I think it's fear. I think I, I think there's this, this... If you followed your daughter through her day in school, on the playground at recess, in the hallways. I think you'd see her have good times and bad. I think you'd see her get hassled by some some bullies. Yeah. I think you'd see her get picked in the middle of the pack for, for the kickball game. I think you'd see her. So if you followed her around for her normal day, you'd, you'd see her have some great times and some bad times and a bunch in between. Yeah. And I think the times that were really hard on her would drive you nuts and I think you would maybe even intervene or try to. Yep. Instead, you're not allowed to do that. Thankfully, you're at, at work or at home and they're at school doing their day. And by the way, surviving and sure. they're fine. Yeah. Instead, now you're going to follow her to her soccer game. Yeah. And you're going to watch her have the same spectrum of experience. Good, bad, somewhere in between. And so you're compelled out of protective father and everything else to intervene if you can to make it a little easier and softer for her when really you should just shut the heck up from your observation yes is the fear i'm afraid for my child and their well-being or is the fear i'm afraid for me and yes. what people might think about me yes it's much I believe it's my I think there are some some legitimate moments where you go, oh, I'm scared for my well, my kids well-being. Um, but those are rare now. Uh, I think I think it's much more, you know, it's that keeping up with the Joneses uh, sort of mentality. It's I don't want if my kid so many people, <laughs> dads in particular, but so many parents look at their their youth sport child as as a as a symbol of their family's success hmm. does he have the right equipment does he look good out there does he look like an athlete is he is he are people cheering for him then they're cheering for me if they're cheering for him they're cheering for my family look at how well i did raising this athlete right and it becomes affirmation it's almost like it's almost like a a, a real life Facebook post come to life. Yeah. And now everybody who claps their hands, they're really pressing the like button or not. Yeah. If they're not clapping for my kid or if God forbid they're saying something bad about my kid, you're, you don't like me. Right. You don't like my family. You right. don't like what I've done. And right. it's, and it's sort of a, a referendum on parenting and it's, it shouldn't be. It isn't for me, but but it is for a lot of a lot of guys, and they look around and go, "I'm doing something wrong. I'm somehow less. I'm somehow diminished by this experience." When really you're not. They're just kids playing. So my oldest daughter and I have a running joke. If she does something goofy, I'll like quote a quote a line or an imaginary line from an old kung fu movie where I'll go, "Grace, you've brought shame and dishonor yes. upon our house." Yes. And there you go. Maybe subconsciously. There you go. It's, hey, that's my last name on that jersey. Yes, it is. What, what has this performance said about me? Yes. 
and I'm injecting myself into something that's supposed to be beautiful, an, an engine for these, a forge in which these lifelong friendships are built. Yeah. And I keep injecting my own insecurities into that equation. And by the way, it's, it's her last name. It's not yours. It's her last name. It's good. I always went as a coach. Whenever I would have a problem, I'd get an email from somebody or I'd, I'd hear about, you know, this guy has got a problem with his kid's playing time or this guy wants to talk to the coach. The first question on my mouth is, is this kid his oldest kid? Because this is probably the first time that he's facing this and now he has to speak up. By the third or fourth kid, you know, you know, what, you know what's real and, what's, right. and so you, you're a little more calm. But um, – if if I don't know if you're going to ask this, but I'm going to give this unsolicited. You know what you should say to your kid after every game? What's that? First of all, nothing, if you can possibly muster it. It's not possible. Then say this. Okay. I love to watch you play. Six words. That's good. I love to watch you play. I just love watching you play doesn't mention anything about winning and losing scoring defense strategy and they can't argue with that you you could say something a lot of parents go oh you did so good out there no i didn't comes the response from the back seat right right because that's subjective that's a that's yeah yep i love to watch you play no one can argue with that and it's affirmative it's supportive and it's true you do love to watch him play yep and there's no there's no comeback to that yeah and it's simple now, if they want to get into something else, great, let's get into it. But if they don't, if they're quiet or if they just go, thanks, just drive home. Let them clean off or shower off, whatever they're going to do, and let it be. You're not their coach. They're not in a position after the game to receive anything from you other right. than, I love to watch you play. Michael, thanks so much for your time. Great insights. And uh, if anybody ends up listening to this thing, we're going to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. One excellent question Michael asks is, what's your why? Why are you doing this? Have you paused to answer this question as a parent? Have you stopped to ask your young athlete the same question? Are you on the same page? Do you want the same things? If the answer is yes, you can move forward together. If not, maybe it's time to reevaluate what your next step is as a family. If you like what you heard today, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, and leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode.